Hello and welcome to Double Stint at Le Mans, a special edition of Double Stint, brought to you by Sports Car 365, bringing you daily coverage of all the action at the Circuit de la Sarthe, leading up to Sports Car Racing's greatest event, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 reporter Daniel Lloyd, who is on the ground at Le Mans. Dan, how have you been since arriving at the circuit? I've been very well, Jonathan. Yeah, we've had loads going on already. Um, it started with scrutineering a few days ago, and we've just had the test day on Sunday. Um, a little bit of a lull on Monday and Tuesday, as it sort of, but then it starts to ramp up, um, heading into race week, where where things get really busy. Um, loads of announcements. We've already had some some bits already. So uh, yeah, it's it's one of the, as you said, one of the greatest weeks in sports car racing, and it's a pleasure to be on the ground to uh, experience it and uh, bring it all to you. Really never stops at Le Mans, does it? Whether it's action on track or headlines, there's plenty of stuff we have for you and no different on the show here today. This week is all about Le Mans, but you can still find recaps and news of everything happening in the sports car racing world at sportscar365.com. Today on the show, we'll recap the Le Mans test day, cover some of the many headlines heading into the big race, answer a listener question, and give you a preview of what's coming up at the Circuit de la Sarthe. Let's start, though, uh, with the test day, it was two four-hour sessions, and we saw some BOP changes going into it. We saw Alpine get a little bit of a power boost and some other changes lower down. But let's start talking about the hypercar class. Alpine uh, said it was better than nothing that they got 13 horsepower extra. Yeah, it was. Um, so it's it, it's an interesting situation with the BOP and hypercar. Um, always difficult to tell what games are being played at the test day. Um, based on the times, uh, it, it's hard to do too much analysis on it. Um, sometimes you just sort of have to um, listen, listen to what the teams say, and 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 see if it matches up to the numbers and things like that. It, it can be a difficult one to read. Almost, almost not too much point in reading a lot into it. But um, as you said, Alpine had a BOP change coming in, which has been quite confusing actually. No, normally, it's pretty straightforward to tell when uh, a manufacturer has has gained or lost in a BOP scenario, but um the 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 french team they they lost 20 kilowatts um of of top end power heading um from sebring where they won into the six hours of spa and they've regained 10 of that which you say sort of around around the 13 horsepower mark um but when you compare it to last year they're they're down 30 kilowatts which is around 40 horsepower so um it's it's tough to see um which of those is is sort of the, the more important one. And when you factor in, we've got um, some changes to the stint energy across the board, reductions for all three cars. And, and that's sort of designed to um, for, for the LMH cars to get them on 12 lap, even 12 lap stints. Um, it, it's hard to see where it's all going to shake out. And when you just look at the, the lap times at the end of the test day with a Toyota on top, well, what does that even mean? It's, it, it's really hard. Um, but yeah, Alpine, they, they didn't seem too happy after the test day, spoke to a couple of the drivers um, who, who said that they were struggling with top end speed. Um, the Alpine was the slowest of the hypercars at the test day, which was the same last year, but it, this time around, it wasn't. It was further off than it had been in 2021. So um, they were saying that they were struggling to overtake some of the LMP2 cars. Um, they, they weren't being passed by the P2, so I don't think it's really too much of a question of stratification for them it's just they 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 seem to be struggling a bit to to match the other hypercar entries over the course of a, a lap they, they said they're okay sort of in in the um corner sections that the first and third sectors but but whether or not this uh this supposed pace deficit in the in the second sector the Mulsanne straight is is something that 
that's really going to set them back in race week remains to be seen. But certainly Alpine seems to be starting on the back foot. Toyota and Glickenhaus trading lap times at the top um, in the test day. Um, it was it was cool to see those guys flirting around the, the 330 sort of benchmark lap for hypercars around Le Mans, even getting underneath it with uh, Jose Maria Lopez setting the fastest time in the number seven Toyota GR010 hybrid. He managed a 229.896 to lead the way, um, but the Glickenhaus entries were not too far behind. So, um, yeah, some interesting things at the top of the pile. Obviously, the other classes were busy too. But, yeah, in terms of looking at the overall battle, um, a few trends potentially emerging and uh, no doubt more discussions to come during the week. Absolutely. And, and pretty much just as Toyota would have hoped, Jose Maria Lopez, as you said, cruising to the top of both sessions. Uh, and it was a Toyota Glickenhaus sandwich in, in uh, really the first and second session, especially. So nice to see Glickenhaus actually up there in the mix. And we know that they have felt the pressure on them this year. Their second Le Mans, they've kind of been making steady progress. We've seen a podium already, a, a pole position at Spa. Obviously, the race didn't turn out as well as they'd hoped, but it seems like they're making gradual steps in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. And that's a natural thing that's going to come with a program um, that that has come into a new category, let's say, um, with, without too much background in, in this type of racing. Okay, they've done the Nürburgring 24, but that's a completely different beast. Um, Glickenhaus has been learning a lot in every race they've done, and and Spa was sort of I think the 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 summit of their progress so far. Their their big question will be can they go even higher at Le Mans? Um, certainly they 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 were able to run the test day pretty much trouble free. Jim Glickenhaus told me that they had to they had an electrical glitch on the seven oh eight, so they changed the steering wheel out. But that car was at the end of the day the the fastest of the Glickenhauses. So um, yeah, they, they they seem to be pretty satisfied with where they are. I think Toyota was actually expecting Glickenhaus to be a bit quicker, judging by the BOP. Um, the Glickenhaus has, has got the same BOP as it had last year, with the exception of the stint energy change, um, whereas the Toyota is a little bit down on, on 2021 too. So I think Toyota was perhaps expecting Glickenhaus to, to hit the front again. But um, nonetheless, impressive to see the 007 uh, Pipo Motors powered uh, American branded cars uh doing quite well in these early sessions and you know it's, it's just it'd be great for the sport great for the race if they can have a more sustained presence at the top this year also impressive in the lmp2 class it was the number 22 united autosports orca 07 gibson of felipe albuquerque that went quickest he posted a three minute 32 second lap uh, and he's coming over from IMSA's race at Belle Isle. You can read more about that at sportscar365.com. In GTE Pro, the Corvette C8R of Alexander Sims led the way. And in GTE Am, it was the number 57 Kessel Racing Ferrari who topped the timesheets. Uh, it was an incident-filled second session. Uh, not a clean day for the factory Porsches, though. Both the 91 and the 92 having issues. So, uh, yeah, it's a big one for Porsche on the GTE Pro side. And unfortunately, they had a difficult test day. Um, a couple of issues on the cars. The the 92 stopped uh, on track and the 91 had a, a really b sort of bizarre incident, it seemed, with uh, Jean-Maria Bruni locking up heavily into Mulsanne Corner. Um, we, we actually, on our way to a restaurant uh, yesterday evening, we we drove past the site of the, uh, the off-track moment and you could see the just how black the, the track was where Bruni had been stamping on the brakes, trying to get the car slowed down and the lines just carried on into the very edge of the gravel. And uh, he came out of it with a, a left front puncture and decided to park the car at Indianapolis to, so as not to incur further damage on bodywork and other components. So um, yeah, it, it wasn't the, 
smoothest run for the Porsches. Um, they they weren't necessarily slow. They they did sort of have a presence near the top of the timing sheets. Corvette seemed to have the best run of it though in GTE Pro. Um, but yeah, certainly Porsche's got a few things to figure out before race week starts. But I suppose, as is always the case with Le Mans, uh, it's best to get these problems out of the way at the test day before um, the the bigger sessions. Let's say heading into qualifying later in the week, but. Um, also of note, actually, that was sort of the main drama we had during the sessions. Okay, we had a few couple more off-track moments. One of the uh, GTE and Porsches ended up uh, deep into the gravel, touching the barriers at Porsche curves. But but really, it was sort of without major incident. I mean, we've seen at previous test days, particularly last year, um, cars being written off, sort of superhuman stories of late deliveries and chassis replacements and major repairs and things like that. But People seem to generally behave themselves this time around, and uh, I suppose the slow zone incidents we did have were were nothing too um, nothing too egregious or harmful. So um, yeah, we we got through the test day pretty well, and uh, it, it gives a uh, good hope that we're that we're going to have some uh, strong data laid down ahead of the the coming track sessions later in the week. Oh, they're just saving all the drama for us uh, for later in the week. So yeah, we've got all that to look forward to. Yeah. Before the test session, we did see uh, one of the Le Mans traditions, everybody heading into the town center for scrutineering, and uh, you and Davey were both on the ground for this. What was the atmosphere like in, in the city center with everybody back? Initially really damp because on the first day, um, it, there was a thunderstorm in the morning, so um, pretty much nobody showed up and, and everyone was huddling under the, the sort of limited cover in the middle scrutineering section, um, just looking a bit miserable, I'm afraid, which, which, which wasn't a great way to start it because we've, we've missed the town centre scrutineering. The last time it occurred was 2019. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has uh, impacted the last two years and scrutineering has been based at the Circuit de la Sarthe. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a slow start to things, but the the, the skies cleared on uh, the afternoon of the first day on Friday, enough for some uh, some some teams to get some nicer photographs of their groups. They looked a bit less soggy. Um, lots of fans showed up, more on the Saturday, I think, with it being um, the weekend. And, and it was great to see a lot of, uh, you know, the drivers really relishing it and, and signing autographs and um, sort of rekindling with some of the people who they who they they'd missed over the last two years and and you know that Le Mans is a town much like Indianapolis that lives and breathes racing and the locals very knowledgeable about their local race um along with all of the people who had traveled in from other countries now that that's much easier to do so um yeah it was a bit of a, a party atmosphere that that gradually developed over the course of the weekend and it really sort of set the scene for what I'm sure is going to be an extremely well attended Le Mans. I was certainly excited to see all the crowd enjoying the race as well. We also saw IMSA action in Detroit as well as GT World Challenge action at Paul Ricard this week. And you can read the full race recaps to find out everything that happened at sportscar365.com. Let's move on to talking about some of the news of the week. Our first developing story is that BMW has revealed the name and design of its new LMDH car. For 2023, we already talked about the fact that it will use uh, the grandfathered P66 DTM engine alongside their Delara chassis and pairing that with the mandated hybrid unit. Uh, And this is for IMSA's GTP class, which will make its uh, 24 Hours of Daytona debut next year. A really neat camouflage delivery, though, containing some images of older notable BMW race cars. Uh, It it certainly looks like a BMW through and through as well with the kidney grills and everything, but excited to see uh, one of the LMDH cars on the table. Oh, absolutely. So much excitement uh, on Monday morning when when this was revealed. Um, the BMW M Hybrid V8, as it will be known, 
um looks the part it, it's just it's just fantastic design i think and and um that bmw released a handy video sort of explaining the design process how they've created a bmw out of the lmdh regulations which similar to dpi um means that manufacturers can add their own styling to cars that are based on sort of pure racing chassis as you said this is a dallara base um so uh, bmw really uh, making things work i think especially at the front the the kidney grill I, I think some people were a bit a bit apprehensive about how that was going to look based on the way kidney grills have been going on uh, recent bmw road car models but this one's integrated really nicely i think um into the frontal design um and as you said, Jonathan, they've opted for a nice camouflage livery that will go testing with uh, uh, with some nice uh, cars in there. Porsche did a similar thing with some uh, racetrack outlines on its LMDH car. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to see manufacturers taking a bit of an innovative take on that as well, rather than just trying to dizzy us, I think, with, with some of the ones you, you might see in F1. But, um, yeah, no, the BMW looks the part. We'll, we'll soon find out, hopefully, um, if it's quick. Uh, should be testing pretty soon. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't have a fixed date, but you'd imagine that with the way things are going and, and engine testing, as, as the company has told me, um, is at a pretty advanced stage and they've been running the uh, hybrid system well. Um, they're going to go straight from the ground with the hybrid system integrated into the car, um, ready for that second half of the year testing program, uh, ready for hopefully the debut at the Daytona 24 uh, in January so but certainly by making this announcement making this step they're really showing their intentions um now it's time to do the talking and uh, get some wheels on track let's uh, let's see how it goes it's it certainly looks like a real fast thing and a couple of manufacturers waiting for Le Mans to make announcements. We saw some test images from Acuron, another camouflage livery on a camouflaged background. They were just renders, but still cool to see uh, some teaser images there. Cadillac, we're waiting for uh, an announcement and a reveal later in the week as well. So still plenty uh, to come on the hypercar front. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Cadillac, we'll, we'll hear more about that on Thursday. Not too sure what exactly is going to come out of that one, but I think you can probably expect something similar to BMW, like a a car reveal, look, getting a look of the design, um, that sort of thing. Uh, that's also a Dallara-based car, so it'll be interesting to see what the Cadillac uh, interpretation is on that on that side. Um, other manufacturer names have been whirling around. I mean, Le Mans is always a real week of hype, um, particularly when you come into this new era of top-level uh, sports car racing with all the different brands involved. I've heard other manufacturers named as to maybe they're going to do something this week. I don't want to put anything out there just because I don't really want to add too much fuel to the fire. But um, certainly it's a time when these manufacturers are starting to get to the phase where they're ready to show us more because time is ticking. I mean, a lot of these want to be out there for 2023. Um, so, yeah, now's the time they need to be showing us some things. Otherwise, doubt's going to start to creep in. So, um, yeah, keep keep your eyes out for more. As always. You can read all about it on Sports Car 365, and uh, I, for one, am just really enjoying this this current phase of uh, interest in in the new top level. It's it's really starting to kick off. Some other headlines this week: Absolute Racing will be on the grid after taking over Hard Points GTE AM slot. It means Rob Ferriol and Catherine Leg will have to wait for their Le Mans debuts. Uh, the slot was initially handed to to Proton Competition and then given to Absolute Racing. Uh, it will still race under the Hard Point name. I believe, per the ACO regulations. Uh, and this will be an interesting one. They finished 14th in class in the warm-up session. Still, probably still some cobwebs to shake off there, but Absolute Racing is, is ecstatic to be back on the grid. 
yeah, they are. They, they've they've done this race um, before, and and uh, Harianto, we we spoke to him, Andrew Harianto, the bronze driver at, at the scrutineering uh, event, and he sort of said, yeah, it, it it was it was pretty last minute, but I think they were they were quietly ready for it. Um, he's brought in Alessio Picariello, a, a former eight, a European Le Mans Series champion, and Martin Rump, who's a, a Estonian driver, making his Le Mans debut. So. Um, on paper, I don't think you can probably expect Absolute to be right at the top of the top at, um, at Le Mans this week, particularly when it's all come together so late. Um, they they do ELMS, so they're familiar with the package, um, and and so I, I think I think they can they can be assured that they're not going to have too many real teething issues heading into the week. Um, as you said, though, it's interesting that Hardpoint's name is going to be on the car. I mean, for for the history books, it's going to be quite a strange one. And every time I see Hardpoint on there, I sort of half think that, that uh, Rob and Catherine are down there in the paddock, but they're not. So um, no, but nonetheless, it's good to see Absolute there. They're, they're a good organisation um, with some good people there. So um, yeah, it, it's it's a deserved place on the grid, even though it's uh, come at the expense of another entry. Penske has brought Matthew Jaminet and Harrison Newey in as reserve drivers this week. Matthew Jaminet is the Porsche factory driver, had an excellent finish to the 24 Hours of Daytona this year in IMSA. Harrison Newey, son of uh, aerodynamic legend Adrian Newey, was the LMP2 class winner at the 2020 round of the 24 Hours of Daytona. Most recently did some DTM competition as well. They will be supporting Felipe Nazar, Dane Cameron, who's making his Le Mans debut, and Emmanuel Collard, the regular three drivers in the Penske entry. That's right. Yeah, Penske's brought in two reserves, which is quite unusual. Um, Jaminet is actually also the reserve for the Porsche GTE Pro team. Um, one could argue that he is more than deserving of a seat at Le Mans, being one of Porsche's top GT drivers the last year or so. Um, but they got five laps each at the test day in the LMP2 car. Um, obviously, it, it's going <laughs> to ask natural questions about um, associations there with Penske running the Porsche factory LMDH program and um, testing of that. They're going to focus on testing and uh, end their LMP2 WEC program after Le Mans. So uh, naturally, there's some links there, particularly with Jaminet. Um, Nui was formerly a Multimatic driver, which is a partner of the Porsche project. I, I understand that Multimatic has nothing to do with this drive, having spoken to someone from the company. But but certainly, um, Nui someone with with uh, you know right place at right time vibes going on with with this drive here. So um, it was nice of them to get get a, a few laps in the car um, with Penske, which is. Uh, Back at Le Mans for the first time after a very long absence, um, they'll be hoping that their experiences of learning the WEC at Sebring and Spa will uh, uh, influence their, their race out, outcome at Le Mans and, and give them sort of a leg up heading into this uh, big event with the P2. Before we give you a preview of what's to come this week, let's answer a listener question. He Who Knows asks, how well do journalists from different websites get along? And this is referring to at Le Mans. I mean, with all the action at Le Mans these days, I'm wondering if it's more like a family reunion or a war zone for you guys. So somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I think it's a sliding scale depending on the day. Um, it's it, it, it's always hard to tell. But, you know, I mean, we, we, we see each other at, at racetracks all the time now, multiple weekends a year. I, I think I see some journalists more than uh, some members of my family, which <laughs> which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's 
obviously a competitive environment to give a little bit of insight into it. We're, we're all looking for, for the edge on stories and trying to find that little bit of insight. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all doing similar things as well. And our own publications have their own um, sort of niches and, and aims and goals. So um, in, in, in that respect, we, we, we can get along nicely because we all have different different things going on so um certainly at Le Mans it's it's a busy week and and but at the same time even when it gets really hectic we we support each other with little bits of info and things like that and and it's I I think we all get along pretty well so um yeah interesting question I've, I've never really sort of had a question like that come in before so but it's um it's it's cool to know that you'd like to hear more about how we how we all uh, do things but uh, yeah no it's probably much like other industries I would think <laughs> Well, it's only fitting at Le Mans to have some friendly competition in the paddock and the media room as well. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. If you have any Le Mans-related questions, be sure to post them in the comments section below this episode or take to Twitter and post it with the hashtag AskDoubleStint, and we'll put our heads together to answer your question in an upcoming episode this week. Don't worry, though. We'll still answer all of your non-Le Mans-related questions on our regularly scheduled episode next week. While there's no action on track tomorrow, there will still be plenty more storylines to dissect and updates to bring you. We'll talk about all that and more on tomorrow's episode. The next on-track session will be practice taking place at 2 p.m. local time on Wednesday, followed by the one-hour qualifying session that begins at 7 p.m. local time. There are plenty of Le Mans debutantes this week as well. Dane Cameron making his long-awaited debut with Penske. He's over 13 in 24 hours of Daytona starts, hoping to change his luck here at Le Mans. Tristan Vautier will be driving with ARC Bratislava. The 12 Hours of Sebring winner has done some IndyCar racing as well. Jack Aitken uh, will be with Algarve Pro in their LMP2 entry, the Williams Reserve driver making his Le Mans debut, and Michael Fassbender with Proton Racing after four years of preparation and a really neat documentary series. Uh, the two-time Oscar nominee will be taking to the track for the first time at Le Mans. That's it for us on today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. We'll see you right back here tomorrow as we bring you more action and updates from the Circuit de la Sarthe for another special edition of Double Stint at Le Mans.